Rainmaker FM. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your host, Kelton Reed, here to take you on yet another tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of renowned writers. And this week, the acclaimed essayist, short fiction writer, and author of debut novel, The Floating World, C. Morgan Babs, took a few minutes to rap with me about the wrath of hurricanes, writing a love letter to the city of New Orleans, and her secrets to staying organized and productive. Morgan is a New Orleans native who started her journey at New Orleans Center for Creative Arts before studying at both Yale and NYU. Her essays and short fiction have appeared in the Oxford American, Guernica, Harvard Review, and the New Orleans Review, among others. An essay she wrote on New Orleans funeral culture was named Notable Essay in Best American Essays 2016, and her ambitious and haunting first novel, The Floating World, was chosen as an Amazon editor's pick uh, for 2017. It's been called a beautiful, relentless portrait of the devastation Hurricane Katrina inflicted on a city and a family. In a Kirkus Star review, the book was called a deeply felt and beautifully written major addition to the literature of Katrina. In this file, Morgan and I discuss her background in the arts and the long road to publishing her first novel, why a novel 12 years in the making is so relevant today, how credit card bills can boost your productivity, why you need to turn off creativity while you're writing, how to keep track of your best ideas, and why you need to get into a Lynchian state of mind as you write. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. All right, and we are rolling once again on the writer files with acclaimed essayist, short story writer, and debut author of a new novel, The Floating World. C. Morgan Babst is joining us. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to do this. Thank you so much for having me, Kelvin. Yeah, um, I understand that you are a native of New Orleans um, and uh, you've studied writing at Yale and NYU and you've published quite a few essays and, and short fiction. Um, and this book, this fantastic kind of haunting new novel that just came out, it's really fantastic, and, it, and it, I, I mean, I really want to talk about um, your process and kind of uh, the process of writing this amazing book. Um, but maybe for for listeners who aren't kind of familiar with you and your journey as a writer, you could just kind of catch us up a little bit on your your origins um, and how you how you got to this fantastic new novel. Absolutely. Well. Um... Thank you again for for having me. It's um, it's kind of surreal to be here after you know a, a pretty long long journey to get to this point, where you know there's a book in my hand that actually has my name on it. Yeah. Um, it's been about it's been about 21 years, I guess, since I first got it into my head that this was this was my ambition. Um, it it's actually a very 
it's a very vivid memory um, that I have of when I decided um, to be a writer. It was um, it was very specific. It was a very specific and um, sort of time based decision where I'd been. I went to um, I went to a Catholic school, the Academy of the Sacred Heart, for thirteen years, and in my um, in my my freshman year of high school, my father and I were driving down the street, and he says to me, "You know." I think maybe you need a little bit of a change. I was like, yeah, I think <laughs> maybe I could, maybe I could stand a little bit of a change. And he, um, he said, well, I think you should go to NOCA next year, part-time. NOCA is the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts. It's a, um, it's an arts conservatory um, in New Orleans for high schoolers. Hmm. Um, that was then um, a half a day program where you would go for three hours and study your concentration exclusively, um, for three years straight. Um, and he said, well, I mean, do you want to sing? You want to write? You want to draw? And I was like, I, I don't feel like all of these are, are, are relevant options. Um, <laughs> I could definitely read and write every day though for the rest of my life. Um, so I auditioned to NOCA and, um, it was an incredibly amazing, intense arts education. Um, but probably, probably I have not surpassed at, you know, getting a BA at Yale or during my MFA at NYU. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, you know, just a ton of incredibly generous, um, New Orleans writers who would come in and workshop with us. We studied, you know, world literature with, with a depth that, um, I don't think I even studied it during my comparative literature degree. Hmm. Um, it was it was amazing, and it definitely set me up um, perfectly to you know commit myself to this as a profession. Yeah. Well, the book is fantastic. Congratulations on the, the success that you're having. Um, it was named an Amazon uh, best book of 2017 editors pick. That's pretty cool <laughs> to see. Yeah. How about that? Your, your name up there with some other big uh, big heavy hitters. Um, but yeah, this book, uh, The Floating World, um, which is uh, been called a dazzling debut about family, home, and grief, and it takes readers into the heart of Hurricane Katrina with the with the story of this this family, the Bois de Rays. Um, and of course, I hope I'm saying that correctly. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You are doing very well. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty stunning debut and you know, it's gotten some really nice write-ups, a deeply felt and beautifully written major addition to the literature of Katrina. So that must be pretty thrilling. Um, and also unfortunate with the timing, just with, uh, with hur- the hurricanes that um, have happened this season. Um, yeah. So, I mean, how are you handling all of it? <laughs> it's, um, it is pretty surreal. I mean, I thought that I'd I'd really taken taken long enough. I mean, it, it, this is this book is coming out twelve years after after Katrina um, and the and the levee failures and flooding that that followed it, and I I both feared and hoped that this would seem you know completely irrelevant. Like, oh, why are we still talking about this old hurricane? We've got that figured out now. We know how to go in and take care of people in the aftermath of disasters now. Um, and, you know, all along I had been writing it, you know, as a book 
for New Orleans to, you know, just sort of share our experience of this storm in an intimate way with um, the rest of America, maybe maybe the world, to show, you know, the human stories that were behind the pretty graphic, almost disaster porny media images that, you know, were a constant on our televisions for so many months in 2005. Um, it breaks my heart that at, in the wake of, you know, Hurricanes Harvey and Maria and Irma, um, that this book is unfortunately incredibly timely. Um, yeah. I really, really wish that it weren't. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a haunting, haunting, um, and beautifully written book. I'm, I'm enjoying it very much. Um, just kind of sucks you in. And, and of course it's a heartfelt love letter to your, to your, uh, city there. Um, and of course the tragedy and, and, and this family and it. it's just, uh, really pretty amazing debut so congratulations thank you so much yeah yeah um but uh yeah i mean there's so much so much amazing stuff going on that the, the timing and the writing and and i'm sure that you're just um kind of inundated with thoughts and and press and and wow um all of it just <laughs> just seems like uh incredibly incredibly timely so let's talk about of course, I'll point readers at um, your fantastic author website, which has quite a bit more. Um, you can access quite a bit of your your writing there. Some of the short stories that you've done. I noticed that there is a, uh, a, a prequel um, to the book <laughs> and a map. And a map, yeah. yeah. We uh, we New Orleans got to host the um, the Southern Independent Booksellers Association, and I thought, you know. You guys might, I thought they might need some um, restaurant recommendations, possibly from the Waterways themselves. So I that's got cool. out my kids' watercolors and made a map. Oh, you made that? That's, that's, I did, I did. Uh, it looks uh, incredibly professional. Oh, um, that's cool. Uh, yeah, so listeners can find uh, the map and, and more, more of your great writing at cmorganbaps.com, of course. And you are on Twitter at cmorganbaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah. Are you um, just concentrated now on promotion? Or do you have some other, are you working on short fiction or are you working on a longer piece now? Um, I have a, I have a novel in mind on where I'm going to go next. Um, but I'm a little bit worried about diving into it while I'm still bouncing around from city to city and yeah. talking to you and so many other, other wonderful people about, about this book. Um, I'm really hoping that my next book is not going to be 700 pages in first draft, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which which this one was. Wow. Um, and everybody was like, um, "Yeah, that's that's just, that's just <laughs> too long, Morgan." Thank God for Andra Miller, who was my um, who's the agent, who the editor who acquired it at Algonquin. She's like, I- "I'll take it if you'll cut 300 pages out." Wow. Um, <laughs> which is why that excerpt on Guernica is a prequel. Okay. There were some darlings in there that just I just couldn't completely kill they had to be resurrected a little bit yeah um an an outtake if you will exactly um but i'm also i'm writing i'm writing some essays now i'm writing an essay um for lenny leonard um about being an ex uh debutante (laughs) in (laughs) new orleans um and i think lithub should be publishing soon um a, a conversation that i had with my teacher from the new orleans center for creative arts and gislison who whose wonderful memoir the futilitarians came out earlier this year um 
we talk together about, you know, grief and home and, um, and the incorporating, you know, disaster and tragedy into your, into the story of your life. All pretty amazing stuff. Um, you know, you've written about the kind of the process of, of writing the novel, um, and kind of some of the interesting omens that you received as you're doing it. Uh, and I think, I believe you were pregnant while you're writing it as well. Uh, yeah, I was really hoping to, um, to finish it before I was no longer pregnant, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't quite get there. It was this, you know, this race against, um, against my daughter and, uh, <laughs> and the book. Um, I got really close to finishing a draft before she entered the world. Um, but not quite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'd love to dig into your productivity a little bit. Um, especially when you're working on a uh, piece of uh, longer fiction, how, how do you prep the desk? How are you, um, getting yourself into the mode each, each day? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think the most important thing is really just sitting down at the desk each day. I mean, no matter what piles of ridiculous mail and I mean, I'm looking at my desk right now, I've got really old stationery, some magazines, a big stack of one stories, um, a bunch of printouts from JSTOR. I mean, it's a, it's a total disaster. Um, but I think, I think as long as I'm, as I'm sitting down every day, I, can get myself fairly quickly into that, um, into that mindset where I can work, mm -hmm. where I can, I can be producing something. Um, you know, how, how it works kind of depends on what stage of the process I'm in. Um, I, when I'm writing, when I'm composing, I, um, I try to turn everything off. I write longhand on like the back of, you know, scrap paper, um, that way I don't feel like I'm killing trees when it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then, you know, after I've composed as much as I can compose, I like to put it away and, um, and maybe do some other readings and some, some, um, some research that surrounds whatever the project is until I get, you know, compelled again to pick up the, the, you know, the backs of my, my, um, credit card bills and start writing again. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, um, but the, I mean, the real work comes when I pick up all of that mess and start, you know, rifling through it for, um, for the good stuff for, um, and revise and, um, and begin to structure stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a most productive time of day? Are you a morning or an evening writer? Well, that's, that's one thing that my, my child has done to me. I was always, always, always an, a night person. Um, I'm not allowed to be a night person anymore. <laughs> right. I have a very small person who jumps into my bed at, at um, 6 a.m. every morning, um, <laughs> sometimes crying because, you know, I'm wearing the wrong pajamas. Um, sure. So it's, it's become really important that I, you know, as soon as I drop her off at school in the morning, I, um, I sit at my desk and with as many cups of coffee as is necessary, get my work <laughs> done before, you know, 1 p.m. or 2, whenever I have to pick her up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you a writer who, who puts headphones on or do you prefer silence? Um, you know, it's funny. I used to be somebody who needed, um, a ton of distractions to make sure that I was tunneling in. Um, now I like to write in silence. Um, there are a few scenes in the book though. I think whenever, whenever I have, whenever I have a scene that takes place to music, 
like the mm. scene in the in the Blue Nile where you know Dale and Zach are dancing, or the scene later where Joe is burning um, burning some stuff in a bonfire, and he imagines um, the Mardi Gras Indians walking down the street. I I like to turn on exactly that music so that the cadences and the language reflect the cadences in whatever song it is that's playing for the characters at the time. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, yeah. yeah. And I actually found the large hearted boy, um, book notes for floating world. So there's a, there's a Spotify playlist. Yeah. Um, which I'll link to, which is very, very cool. And and you kind of go into the history of, uh, when the saints go marching in, which obviously you, you, um, preface in your book. Right. Right. That, um, that was, that was kind of a, a, a something that I realized, um, late in the process, I was like, God, this, this song, when the saints go marching in that we hear constantly, I mean, just, it's absolutely everywhere. It's in the airport. Um, it's, it's really, it's really apocalyptic. It's kind of a dirge. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it's very reflective, I think of the city, which is an incredibly exuberant celebratory place, but always undercut by, you know, our, our existence on the brink of, you know, vanishing wetlands. Um, it's a place that was burned down a couple of times that, that suffered yellow fever epidemics that suffered Katrina. And so there's always this, you know, this, this understanding of mortality under, underneath our, you know, drunkenness and dancing in the streets. Yeah. I just had lots of thoughts, obviously apocalyptic, um, uh, comes to mind in the writing. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but the music piece is, is cool to hear about. Um, do you have any thoughts on writer's block? Have you ever run up against it or is it a thing? You know, that's, I think partially because I figured out this scrap paper solution. Um, it's no longer a thing for me, but it did. It was once a thing. I used to sit there and look at a sentence on my computer screen and delete it and type it again and delete it and type it again and delete it and move the phrases around and move the clauses around and then delete it. And I could have, you know, you could be sitting there for four hours trying to make the best sentence, um, that you can make and end up with nothing. Um, I think I, my, I mean, my, my advice to anybody suffering from writer's block is to turn your creative faculty completely off when you're composing. Um, just let whatever you're writing be absolutely horrible (laughs) because you can always fix it later. And likely, you know, if you write and write and write and write, it doesn't matter what you're writing about. Eventually you may hit on something and it's better to give yourself that chance by, you know, by starting those gears of writing going than it is to, you know, to try to force yourself to write something good from, you know, minute one. Um, yeah, my, my problem tends to be, I think, I think I, I really do feel like I've, I fixed this. I want everybody to listen to me because my, my problem is absolutely the opposite. I write way too much. Hmm. Um, this book was 700 pages to start with. Like most of my short stories like are 70 pages in their first draft. Um, it's much easier to cut than to add, I think. Hmm. Hmm. That's some great advice writers for sure um all right a couple workflow questions for you are you a mac or a pc oh definitely mac and are you a um microsoft word or scrivener writer 
Oh, you know, I tried Scrivener and I thought it was pretty cool, but I ended up going back, going back to old word. Yeah. Good old I do word. like, I like Google Docs for collaborating with people though. I find that that works well. Do you have, uh, aside from your um, writing on the backs of credit card envelopes, <laughs> I, I mean, what if, I just recycle them, but that is such a great, great <laughs> tip. Uh, free paper from the credit free card company. Paper. They Free owe paper. us. <laughs> yeah, they do. And, you know, and when it's terrible, you can just throw it away. You were going to throw it away anyway. Do you have a couple other hacks that you use um, to get words uh, onto the table or just to stay, stay organized? Oh, yeah. Um, sure. I mean, I, I always keep uh, index cards in whatever book I'm reading um, because I find that you can, you can really lose, lose good stuff if you don't have a way to write it down right away. Um, I, I keep index cards and I use my, I use my pen as a bookmark so that, you know, I'm reading, you know, right now I'm reading her body and other parties by Carmen Machado, which is just insanely good. And it's one of, it's one of those books where it's so crackling with creativity that it's just making me want to write short fiction. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I'll just like scribble an idea on an index card and then, um, and then, I haven't lost that idea. I can then pin it up on my wall. And when I need something, when I don't have something to work on today, I can look up at the wall and be like, well, I'll use that index card today. Hmm. Love to that. Yeah. yeah. How does see uh, Morgan just unwind at the <laughs> end of a long, hard day? <laughs> um, bourbon? <laughs> <laughs> My my husband is my is my bartender. He's very good at making me a delicious drink when he comes home from work. Very nice, very nice. Um, all right, well, let's dig into creativity a little bit. Do you have kind of a um, a definition of creativity, kind of in your own estimation? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think that I think that creativity is this. Is about opening a door between your conscious mind and your subconscious mind. Um, I read I read an interview. I think it was maybe maybe one of those between two ferns. Maybe it was that that video series with with where Patty Smith and um, Lynch are sitting there between these ferns talking about meditation and getting really woo woo about where their ideas come from. Um, and I found myself nodding along with them somewhat somewhat to my chagrin. When they were saying that, I mean, it's almost as if um, your really good ideas are coming to you from somewhere else, from, you know, a door into one of those weird rooms where the red guy is talking backwards um, mm -hmm. in a Lynch film. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why it's really important when you're trying to access your creativity, when you're trying to compose, to turn off, to turn off that you know, that front line of ego and, um, and critique, because if you are, if you're getting in your own way, you're never going to actually get down to that sort of dream state that, that subconscious place that knows all sorts of things and makes all sor sorts of connections that you're not going to make when you're going about your, your day, organizing things, making sure that, you know, the refrigerator is stocked and the kids are picked up mm -hmm. school. Yeah. Um, I think we know a lot more than we know we know. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> um, it seem it would seem that New Orleans, 
the kind of the spirit of New Orleans uh, was a muse for the floating world. Um, do you kind of have a, a creative muse presently or something you're chasing? Yeah, I think New Orleans, I think New Orleans is a, is a great muse. She's a little bit domineering. Um, the Walker Percy talks in one of his, um, in one of his essays, um, I think it's one of those Esquire things, why I live where I live, about having to move out of the city to Covington because the ghosts were sitting on his shoulders and whispering to him too much. <laughs> um, and, I mean, it's possible that I was only really able to write um, to, de- to this depth about New Orleans because I wasn't living here at the time, mm. um, that with that distance I could, I could approach it, I could inhabit it um, without it without it trying to drag me under. Um, we'll see what happens now that I'm back home, um, whether New Orleans main, maintains its, you know, fertile, fertile creative hold or whether, you know, like, like the plants around here, it starts to grow up over my windows and, um, try to take the roof off. Hmm. <laughs> um, which, you know, is something that I think it did to Faulkner, for instance. Um, or to, you know, to any, num- any number of writers who stayed here and ended up getting just really wasted on moonshine all the time. <laughs> um, what do you think makes a writer great? I think, I think for a writer to be great, you need to be really willing to take, to take risks, um, to go off and to, a direction that your mind is pulling you and to make sure that it's not a place that you're being told that you have to go by, you know, by external cultural forces. Um, that was something that I, I learned my very last year at NYU and I took a craft class with, um, with E.L. Doctorow who mostly just kind of sat at the front of the class, um, with his, you know, kind of his head in his hands being like, Oh no, you guys really didn't get Moby Dick. Did you uh, finally, wow. at, <laughs> finally at the very end, he stands up and he just, he just kind of unloaded all the wisdom on us. Like I couldn't even write fast enough to keep up with him. But in general, what he was saying was like, you see all these books that I gave you all these crazy, completely nonsensical seeming books Moby Dick and, um, and Mrs. Dalloway and all sorts of, you know, Celine, all of these people broke every single rule that you've spent your, you know, your entire academic life learning. Um, you know, you're going off into the world now. There's no more workshop, write what you need to write. That's cool. That's really, really cool. Um, do you have a couple, you mentioned one already. Do you have a couple other favorite authors kind of sitting on your nightstand right now or some that you're just kind of stuck on? <laughs> um, oh, I've got so many. That's really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Carmen Machado is amazing. She's, she's a finalist for the National Book Award right now. Um, I think she's really rad. I love Maggie Nelson. Um, I went on an absolute Maggie Nelson bender. Uh, last hmm. year, starting with Argonauts, um, ending with Art of Cruelty, which um, you should definitely end with the Art of Cruelty if you're going to read all of Maggie. Um, 
I, I love her because she, you know, she's one of those people who just breaks every rule. Um, her books are these, these sort of half memoir, half poetry, half, or I guess thirds, uh, <laughs> a third, like, you know, academic, um, investigation into feminist theory and literary theory. Um, and she leaves all this white space around her thoughts, which really gives you a way into her world and her mind sort of forces you to make the same intellectual connections that she's making across these ideas. Um, so I think, I think she's amazing. Um, Garth Greenwell is really, really good. Um, and I mean, I always, I always go back to, you know, the Southern, just the Southern greats to Flannery O'Connor and William Faulkner and Robert Ken Warren when I need a little bit of pick me up in my, in my prose. Um, as so many authors do, do you have kind of a, a best loved quote floating over your desk or just kind of etched into your mind? Um, it's sort of, it changes. I almost want to walk you over to, uh, I'm going to walk you over to my, to my index cardboard. Oh, please Let's do. see what's there. <laughs> um, yeah. What have, what have I got right now coming up? Here's a, uh, here's Dubois. It's a hard thing to be haunted by the ghost of an untrue dream. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Very nice. So that's, that's, that's my quote that's on my wall right now, but it does change. Um, I was working with this novel from Andre Krajewski's, um, a quote that he, he had in a, in, a, in a newspaper article after the storm, where he said that an evacuated city is an automatic ruin. Um, I could never really get my, my head around that image, so I just kept on trying, I think. Hmm. Um, okay, I got a couple of fun ones for you before we wrap up. Uh, do you have a favorite literary character of all time? Ooh, that's fun. Could be from a movie, could be from a book or a <laughs> comic book. Oh, my favorite literary character of all time. I, I would probably say Mrs. Dalloway. I just love her. I think about her a lot every time I buy flowers. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, you've mentioned some, some uh, great haunted writers. If you could choose one author from any era... For an all-expense-paid dinner to your favorite spot, who would you, who would you take? <laughs> Where would you take them? <clears throat> mm. That one's also hard. Um, you know, I spent so much time reading and fighting with uh, Nabokov. I think I probably, I think I probably owe him dinner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where would you, where would and, you take him? But I would, I would also, because he's, he's such a, um, he's such an arrogant prick sometimes. I think I'd probably take him out to Casamento's, which is my favorite all time oyster bar. And I would make him eat an oyster loaf. <laughs> um, do you have any weird, uh, writers, uh, fetishes? Like do you collect old, uh, quills or typewriters or anything weird like that? <laughs> Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I collect anything super weird. I, I, I have a whole bunch of, um, seashells, but that doesn't really have anything to do with writing. Um, I like seashells. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, obviously I've got, I've got a big old library. Um, yeah. and it's for a long time, there were 
several books that I traveled everywhere with, even though I wasn't currently currently reading them. Hmm. Uh, I I even even when I was like backpacking around Italy, I had about had about seven pounds of dead weight in my, in my <laughs> bag because I just could not be parted from from Ada or from Virgil. That's cool. Yeah. Um, okay, before we wrap up, I will point back at, of course, this fantastic new novel, The Floating World. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing book. I will definitely point listeners to that um, in the show notes. Um, a deeply felt and beautifully written, a major addition to the literature of Katrina. That was a, a starred review by Kirkus. Um, richly writ- written, soak it in kind of book, utterly affecting. Library Journal gave it a starred review. Do you think they knew they were making a joke when they said that it was a soak it in kind of book? I think so. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think they did too. A riveting novel about the inescapable pull of family. Um, and it really is a, a fantastic, compelling, haunting uh, haunting prose and stories. So thank you for your work. Um, and we'll p- point at the website, of course, cmorganbaps.com. Uh, I'll put your Twitter on there at cmorganbaps. Um, Morgan, thank you so much. Do you want to leave listeners um, with any other resources or um, advice on just how to keep going? Oh, thanks, Kelton. Um, I think the most important thing is just to keep going. You know, if you've got to write, write. That's um, that's sometimes all it re- all it takes. Yeah. Well put, succinct to the point. <laughs> uh, best of luck on your book tour and with all of your future endeavors. And please uh, come back and see us again sometime. Thanks so much, Kelton. It was lovely to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining me on another tour of the writer's process. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or review to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm and you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you soon.